0: Glad you could join with us tonight. Before we begin the Bible study, I'd just like to lift uh, Myrene up in prayer. She's Myrene's one of my heroes for sure. She's been battling cancer for quite a while, defying so many of the odds, and just always keeping her attitude great and working and you know just doing everything that people thought would be impossible for her to do and being an outstanding witness for Jesus Christ as well. Um, many of us have been inspired by her. Well, she's going in Monday to have surgery, to have a double mastectomy. And she's just looking forward to getting it over with so she can get back to, to what God's called her to do. Um, but we want to hold her up in prayer. And um, also, she asked if on Monday you'd wear something pink, in honor of, uh, you know, our prayers for people with breast cancer, and so all, I mean, I don't have anything pink, but I'm going I'm to put like a pink ribbon, tie it in my bell loop or something, so if I can do it, you can do it, and that'll just be your little reminder throughout the day to be praying for her as she's in surgery, and so let's just agree together and lift her up in prayer to the Lord. Why don't, as many of you as are around her, just let's lay hands on her and We'll hold her up in prayer. Lord, how grateful we are that you've given us such a special friend and sister. And Lord, we've seen your power through her in so many different ways. The strength that you have provided for her that she readily acknowledges comes from you. And Lord, we know what this kind of surgery takes out of you, and it's not easy, and we don't want to act like it's nothing and blow it off. But Lord, we really want you to accomplish everything that you intend to accomplish in this. And that means, Lord, that we need those surgeons and everyone else working on her to function way above their normal level lord there isn't anything that's ever been normal or ordinary about my reign through this whole thing and we're looking for a real extraordinary supernatural work of your spirit as she goes in for this surgery lord just continue to give her peace continue to strengthen and comfort her and Lord, I pray that as she deals with this in the way that she has, as she continues just to show that strength of faith, Lord, I pray that many people will come to know you as a result of her testimony, and I pray that as you raise her back up and get her back on her feet quickly, that it will baffle everyone who doesn't know you and will cause them to go, wow, there is something to that. There's something in that girl that I want, that I need for myself. And so God just touch her and heal her, remove everything that would be a hindrance to her doing that which you've created her to do, and that is to serve you, to bless others by representing you, So God, just we thank you for what you're going to do on Monday and up until then and continuing after that, Lord, we will give you all the glory for all that you do in her. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Romans chapter 2 as we continue working our way through this book. We were seeing, basically, what Paul's been talking about in these early chapters, these early verses, is to explain why everybody's in trouble. To explain why everyone comes short on their own of being able to have the life that God wants them to live. Because until we understand where we are without Christ... We can never be completely grateful and and expressive of our, our thankfulness to him for what he has done for us. So often we forget what God has done for us. We even forget how bad off we were before he got a hold of us. And this is really key because in the book of Romans Paul sets out to paint the picture for how to live the Christian life, the victorious Christian life. And it's not something that happens just automatically. It's something that if it was easy, more people would be doing it. But a key to living the victorious Christian life is understanding all that God has done for us because the key to that life, as he goes on and on to express, is God's grace, And it seems almost contradictory that to understand that everything that God wants to do in our lives is free, that we don't earn it, that he is not counting on us turning ourselves into good, reformed people before we can have the life that he wants us to live, but that this is a life that he is giving to us. And the truth is that when we try too hard, we so often circumvent that which God ultimately wants to do in our lives. And it is, living the Christian life is a very natural, supernaturally natural thing for us to do. But we so often get in the way of that. And religion can get in the way of that. And so the whole key is understanding what God has done for us. Because living the life of grace is living a life in response to understanding that the pressure has been lifted, that we don't have a burden to bear. So often people can talk about Christianity as if it's an ultimate responsibility. In other words, you've got to just get out there and do it. And so we hear well-meaning people who lay a an expectation on us that, well, you have a whole world to save. Now you better get out there and do it. You have needs all around you, and you are the answer. And so often, there's some truth to that, but so often when we are burdened with that kind of responsibility, for one thing, it's unrealistic, it's true. There are starving people out there. There are dying people out there. There are people out there who are going to hell. But the truth is, you can't change that. God can use you to influence and to to be used by him to bring his grace to people. But if you carry the burden of that, and you feel that I need to be good, I need to be better, I need to try harder, I need to put more effort into life, you'll wear yourself out before you start. And symptoms of that inevitably involve things like people just giving and giving and giving, and then they just go, I've had it. I'm not getting anything back. I'm burned out. I don't want any more. That's a natural response that happens when you play God, when you feel like this is something that you have to do. God really hasn't given you a lot of responsibilities. Your responsibility is to respond to his grace and his love. When we understand that, when that really works its way into us, it does bring about glorious changes in our lives. But they are changes that we don't even have to think about that we don't have to work on, that we don't have to force ourselves to do them. We don't have to beat ourselves up. Legalism would, will destroy us. Salvation by grace through faith is something that teaches us that the just live by faith. It's through walking by faith that then God changes us without us having to change ourselves. When I first accepted the Lord. And I had been raised in the church and I knew all about Christianity to a ridiculous extent. I had thousands and thousands of scriptures memorized. I had read lots and lots of thousands of pages of theology besides having read my Bible all the way through probably 10 or 15 times. And yet I had never come to understand what a real relationship with God was. And so I saw Christianity as being something that was in your head, something that involved believing the right things. And then if you were going to be a good Christian, then you did good things. And that's the way I understood it. Now, I had long since given up on doing good things. So I scrapped that part, (laughs) and I just decided, you know what? I'm going to be one of those people who sits on my on my divine assurance of salvation. And because I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, I am just going to believe that I am eternally secure and I'm going to live any way I want to live. And I'll just be a nominal Christian who gets to heaven. Meantime, while I'm down here, I'm going to live life my way. Well, God demonstrated to me and showed me that really that's not a relationship at all. All that is is a, is a, you know, a position that you hold to, as if, yeah, I'm a conservative, or yeah, I, I'm a Laker fan. Yeah, I believe about Jesus. Well, the demons believe all the facts about Jesus, And they tremble, which is more than what most of us do. And yet, they aren't in proper relationship with Him, and they will suffer eternal damnation despite believing the right things. And when I came to know the Lord, it still took Him some time, but I I began to discover the significance of grace. And it wasn't hard for me to adapt to because I had already done law. I had already tried that. I had already, At sometimes I was one of the best people that anybody knew. At other times I became one of the worst people that you'd ever want to know. All the time having the right opinions about God. All the time reading His Word and praying but not having a real relationship. For me, when I came into a relationship with Jesus, um, it was, and you've heard the story, I won't bore you with it, but I had accidentally gone forward at an altar call. I was sleeping during church, and I thought people were leaving, so when I woke up, I got up to leave, and I ended up in the prayer room. And I was just sitting there going, how am I going to get out of here? And I had argued with people that I was a Christian. People were trying to argue with me that I wasn't a Christian. My youth pastor at the time had had a talk with me and said, Dave, you can't be a Christian and do the things that you do. And I said, well, am I saved by grace or by works? I believe what the Bible says. Am I supposed to believe what you say over what the Bible says? So I could defend my salvation, but... The truth is, he was right. And that moment as I was there in the prayer room, the Lord just spoke to me really quickly and succinctly and said, Dave, either you accept me now or you'll never be able to. It's now or never. And I realized that for the first time I was being confronted by a real God. And I believed all about him, but I had never really been in a connection with him. And so at that point, I made a deal with him. Not a very good deal. I don't even recommend it. This isn't what I suggest people pray as a sinner's prayer. But I I said, God, I will give you permission to do whatever you want with my life. But I am not going to change a thing. I'm going to continue to steal, cheat, and violate all the commandments. I'm going to continue to talk a blue streak. I'm going to continue to live my life for myself. I know this doesn't sound like repentance, <laughs> but, but all I really gave him was permission. If you want, you can change my life. And I told him, I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And so this is just between me and you. And I was determined to not be one of those camp conversions, mountaintop experiences. So I just had an instant peace. And that night as I lay in bed, it was just I knew something was different. But over the next couple of days, well, people came up and they saw me go forward. Oh, oh, you came forward. I go, it's just a mistake. I was sleeping. It was an accident. Don't worry. It's nothing, you know. But my life began to change. And I didn't try to change it. My, my language cleaned up right away, and it had been really foul. I never tried to do that. I, I lost all desire for the drugs that I was using, and I didn't try to do that. I didn't go on a program or anything. Now, again, this is my story. There are some people God has really battled through different issues in order to get them done. My experience isn't necessarily universal. I just want you to understand how God's grace worked in my life. And right away, people just started noticing that I was different. My, my friends were suspicious of me because I wasn't doing the things that they were doing anymore. I wasn't judging them. I was hanging out with them. And when there, somebody was passing a joint around, I would just take it and pass it to the next person and not take a hit off of it. I didn't think that was all that suspicious. But... Amazingly, in a lot of areas of my life, it just changed, and I didn't try to. And that was God's grace in my life. Now, there are a lot of other areas of my life where the change didn't happen so suddenly, where I still would struggle and and I continue to have areas of my life that aren't surrendered to the Lord. I, I sin every day like most of you. And And yet, I learned from God giving me some of that victory the power of the grace of God, that ultimately that's what he wanted to do in my life. He wanted me to be grateful to him for what he had done, but he was going to have to do the work. I couldn't do it. I knew already that I couldn't. And therein is the key. And to this day, with every area of my life in which I struggle. I always have to remind myself of God's grace, of the reality that he doesn't tell me to fix myself, that he does a work as I am grateful, as I praise him, as I thank him, as I trust him. I let him pick which area of my life he wants to work on next. And I don't worry too much about the areas that he hasn't chosen to work on now I always have plenty of help from other people suggesting areas of my life that might need work and I really don't question that but all I can do is tell you sorry I've already figured out that if I decide what I want to fix in my life or if people around me decide what they think I ought to fix in my life I can't do it this is something that God has to do Now, that understanding of grace is absolutely critical if you're ever going to live a real Christian life. But it's also really scary because you are trusting God to do what he says he will do, but you're letting go of the reins. You're choosing to not be in charge of your own reformation program, and that's scary because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So letting go and saying, God, you can do whatever you want, and I am going to focus on being grateful to you for what you've done. And I'm going to let you determine the work that happens in my life. That's radical, and it's frightening. It's dangerous. But that is what the New Testament teaches a relationship with God is about. And often I find that there are areas of our lives where we don't have victory simply because we are trying too hard to do it ourselves rather than giving it over to the Lord and letting Him do that work. If we really could see all that He has done for us, if we really could understand all that He is doing within us, We'd be so grateful our lives would change radically, and not from effort, from pure response to the grace of God. That is what true Christianity is all about, and that is what the book of Romans is written to explain. But a key to responding to His grace is understanding the magnitude of His grace. Because if we forget how lost we were, if we forget that we are like everyone else in the world, when we become prideful and and self-absorbed and impressed with ourselves, then what happens? The grace of God isn't that big of a deal. Because of course God is gracious to me, I'm better than most people. Of course God is gracious to me because I'm not who I used to be. but boy, thank God, look who he's made me, and I'm pretty much close to good enough now. As soon as we start to believe that, we are turning our backs on God's grace, and we are preventing him from doing what he wants to do in our lives. Living by grace is a moment-by-moment decision. Living by grace is the only thing that can change us, and believe me, we need to change. You're not going to get any argument from me. I'm not some, you know, uh, motivational speaker who's telling you, no, you're fine the way you are. I would say, you are fine the way you are right now for where you are right now. And we need to accept that. Accept that I'm on track. God's working in my life. It's okay that I am who I am. I'm not going to build my security based on a false notion of who I am. Lying is the first thing that pops up that defeats grace. So being honest with where we are is an incredible, incredibly important first step. But you follow that up with responding to his grace and allowing him to do what he wants to do. And living life in the zone, in the flow of just of just knowing that God knows what he's doing and that he is able to work and that he will work if we get out of the way. Now, that may sound a little strange that we can prevent God from doing what he wants to do, but I believe that we can. I believe that we are the only ones who can prevent God from doing what he wants to do in our lives. Remember, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem as he stood there on the Mount of Olives looking down on that beautiful city and and crying and saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, how I longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Your will is the only thing ultimately that can block what God wants to do in your life. And so we need to be freed up from the burden of fixing ourselves before we will ever be fixed by God. And when we are honest about who we were and who we are, we will be so incredibly grateful to God for His grace. We will be so relieved from the burden of fixing ourselves that ultimately the changes will come very easy the 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 development, the growth, it'll happen and you'll hardly notice it. It'll take other people to notice it. Because you just feel like you've just been living your life. And then you look back and you see the hand of God on your life and it's something that's amazing. And so here in these early chapters, Paul is setting the stage for that reality. He's going to go into much greater detail about it but here in these early chapters what he's establishing is we're all messed up. We're all under a certain level of condemnation. We are all we all have our hands tied when it comes to being good, when it comes to making ourselves who God wants us to be. And so he had first addressed the heathen and talks about the fact that You know, we call them the heathen. The truth is we're all heathen, and that's his point. But those who even haven't heard about Jesus and how they have even within their own conscience a testimony, they have within what they see in creation a message from God. And they're responsible for not responding to that. But now he's been here in chapter 2 Addressing legalists, those who try to live by a set of standards and sharing with them that the problem with that is you can't do it. There's no partiality with God. And finally, where we left off last week in verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Good news and bad news there. The bad news is God knows our secrets. And that's where we are the most vulnerable. It's not what we do out in front of everyone. Most of us are pretty good in front of people because there's even peer pressure for that. There are consequences to not being good. And so most of us put on a pretty good front and actually live pretty decent lives. The problem is those secrets. Those things that we would like to do, those things we plan, and those things we do when no one is around. Those things that that betray the fact that we have a sinful nature and that we're still lugging that around with us through life. And there's a judgment and all the secrets are going to be revealed. That which has been done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. The good news, though, is that God will judge by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So if we really understand the gospel, if we are really walking in that good news, then judgment doesn't have to threaten us. We can be prepared for judgment by understanding God's grace, by putting our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But always... Nagging away at us is going to be the temptation to live under the law. And here he again addresses some of these legalists, beginning with verse 17. Specifically in the Jewish context, although this would apply to anyone who's trying to live a good religious life and somehow thinking that they can earn some standing with God by the way that they live. But he particularly addresses those who are really good Jews. Because in those days, and remember, he's talking about Jewish Christians. In those days, the very first work of the the gospel was among the Jewish people. As there on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, a lot of people from a lot of other cultures, but certainly a lot of Jews, were saved. And so they had put their faith in Jesus Christ, But they brought their Judaism with them and very quickly the church became not a place of grace but it became a place of law. It became a place of rules. And right away they started to say okay, we need to set up the rules. And every once in a while they would argue about some of the rules and then they would make a rule that would take away some of the rules. they you know, they, would, they decided, for instance, I mean, they thought that, of course, everyone ought to be circumcised. All good Jews have been circumcised, so if you want to become a Christian, you need to get circumcised. But as they discussed it, and God gave them wisdom, and they had a church council on it, they decided, no, there's no reason for us to make Gentiles be circumcised. They had other discussions as to how many changes to make. But see, as soon as you're doing that, you've already missed the point. You've already stopped trusting the Holy Spirit to do His work in people's lives. And to this day, I believe that that is the greatest enemy of Christianity. It's the greatest thing that rips Christians off of really living a victorious life. It's still this tendency to want rules. Rules will, if you squint, you can start to think you look pretty good compared to other people. You're great on the curve. But ultimately, rules will just make you feel like a loser. Sooner or later, you're confronted with the truth. Sooner or later, your lies catch up to you, and you just feel like, I'm starting all over, I can't do this. And unfortunately, and it's completely with well intentions this is still what christians end up doing most of the time i really believe that that's why i believe the book of romans the book of galatians the book of ephesians these these books are still so important today because deep down inside so many of us are really just trying to follow the rules the rules that society is telling us the rules that we think the bible is telling us so often by the way we interpret it the rules that our cultural subgroup tells us or our uh, you know the media tells us or whatever and instead of having a relationship with a living god we so often just end up being people who are trying to follow the rules When I buy something that needs to be assembled, I usually don't consult the instructions. Because I I think, come on, I'm smarter than most people who wrote the instructions. Half the time they don't even speak my language. I'm sure I can figure this out. All over the world there are people more foolish than me who are able to assemble these things, and some of them can't read. So I ought to be able to figure this out. I take it as a challenge. I work on it. After a while, sometimes I'll at least look at the picture on the box to see what the thing is supposed to look like. And if I'm really desperate, I'll go to the end of the instructions and try to figure it out. And you know I am just completely defeated if I start at step one and lay the parts out like they tell you to do and all that. I I hate doing that. And every one of us hates living life that way. And yet we talk like that's the way the Bible does it for us. We pretend like the Bible is a list of rules and regulations. And we say this all the time. We say, you need to read the instruction manual. The Bible isn't an instruction manual for life. The law isn't an instruction manual for life. Get that out of your head. The Holy Spirit living inside you, changing your desires, changing your heart, That's how God wants to get your life put together. Now, the word is extremely important in that, but not as a way to give us rules to live by, as a way for us to discover what a relationship with God is really all about, as a way for us to see how good God has been to us and how much He has blessed us, priming the pump of our gratefulness to Him absolutely. And I love this book because of that, and I study it constantly. But it is not a list of rules telling us what to do. That's why Christians argue so much on whether or not you ought to do certain things. And most of our Bible questions are looking for someone to give us a rule. Should Christians do X? Is it all right for a Christian to do y? And There are plenty of people who will give you those answers. This book isn't written that way. And that's why people struggle with some of these things. Because God doesn't want to make it that simple. Because if it's that simple, all you'll do is you'll find out that you're not following the rules. And as hard as you try, you just can't. And and you'll end up being either defeated or prideful. And that was the case with the law, that's still the case today. It's why some of our most pressing concerns leave us with good people disagreeing. Because the Bible's not that clear in a lot of areas because it isn't a rule book. It's an expression from God to introduce us to a vital living relationship with him. You could take a simple thing like, should a Christian drink alcoholic beverages? Or if you think it's okay for them to drink alcoholic beverages, how much should you be able to drink and still be a good Christian? Well, I've been up and down throughout the Scriptures on this question, and I can recite all of the arguments with the best of them, and you know, and There have been times when I made decisions based on what I felt this is the rule of Scripture. The truth is, it's not a cut-and-dried, simple question. You can generally find support for whatever it is that you want to do if you look in there. If you're a complete drunk, you'll pull those Scriptures out that talk about how much joy alcohol gives you, and you'll go, see... I want a fullness of joy. (laughs) Give me a double, you know. On the other hand, if you're a teetotaler and you're very proud of the fact that a drop of alcohol has never touched your lips, you'll find enough verses not only to encourage you in that conviction but to help you to judge everyone who doesn't see it your way. The truth is, you know, God doesn't want you to drink or not drink based on a rule. That's not the way he works with us. And it should be perfectly okay for me to not drink, which I've been very open with you. I don't. I have a lot of reasons. Most of them aren't so much biblical reasons. They have more to do with having been there at the scene of people who lost their lives because of alcohol. I've seen it ruin so many people's lives that even if there was no God, I don't think I would want to give control of my body over to a substance like that. But it should be okay for me to feel God telling me that, and I don't have to go and tell you, you need to make the same decision that I do. I would, I would hope that you would be able to sit at a table with me, and if God has given you the liberty to do it, that you would have a a glass of wine and not feel bad because I'm there and that I wouldn't feel bad toward you because you feel that way there's freedom in understanding a relationship with God and walking in his grace and that's just one area and I've been through the arguments a thousand times please don't send me your new information that you got from somebody who has discovered the rules of scripture it's just an illustration it's just an example you do whatever you want to do whatever you feel God's showing you to do but that's how God wants us to live our lives and you see the difference I'd hate to be craving alcohol and just feel like God won't let me do it now at the same time if alcohol has caused a lot of damage to my life there are certainly plenty of human reasons for me to make a decision to deprive myself. I don't just do everything that I want to do. If I did, I would eat nothing but dessert. (laughs) But when it comes to my standing before God, I don't need the pressure of feeling like anything depends on what I do. Instead, I want to walk in His grace. And I don't want to put off on anyone else the notion that you can accept Jesus by grace and now here's the rules, memorize them and do all these things. And if you are good enough, you'll grow and God will love you and life will be wonderful. That doesn't work and I have tried it and I watch it time and time again destroy people who love God, who enter a relationship with God, and they never discover his grace. And people who are ungracious also do not attract others. And we are here to attract others to the reality of Jesus Christ. That's why he's left us here. And when they smell legalism and self-righteousness and judgmentalism, they're driven away from that. No one wants to sign up for a life of of just being, you know, trapped by a bunch of rules that you can't keep yourself. And what happens when you come off that way and then you fail? You completely obliterate and destroy your testimony. Do you understand how many people do not accept Jesus Christ or who completely fall away from being in a place where they were considering him? because they see people who think they're better than they are, then failing, falling apart, those judgmental Christians who then it comes out that (coughs) they've been hiding secret sins themselves and they can't live up to their own standards. I'm not worried about anyone looking at my life and deciding that, they don't want to be a Christian because I let them down. I'm not worried about that because I'm not claiming anything for myself. All I have to say for myself is that I am a vile sinner. Like Paul said of himself hey, put me at the top of the list. The gospel is not what a great guy I am. So if you get to know me and you come to the conclusion that I'm not a great guy, That shouldn't shake your faith at all. I try to live my life with nothing to hide, which is a good deterrent for certain things. But at the same time, my only message ever is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's what he has done. Now, if you can find something wrong with Jesus Christ, then you've got a problem with Christianity. But finding something wrong with me, hey, I didn't claim To be anything that I'm not. Someone who simply is as needy as you are for the grace of God. No pressure on me. For me to live up to what I'm claiming for myself, (laughs) talk about doing it naturally. I'm just saying, I'm a sinner. So if you catch me sinning, big news flash. But man, I'll tell you something God is so amazing. And you will never be let down by Him. And the glorious thing is, as much as, you know, hey, if you could try to be a good person and it worked, I would tell you to go for it. But it won't. And the amazing thing about living life in the Spirit, it actually does make you better. Now, I don't make any professions of being a great person. All I I will say is, I'm a lot better than I used to be. And it wasn't because I tried. But areas where God has given me victory, it was simply His grace that did it. The most impressive things that I have seen God do in my life, I didn't even see it happening. And I didn't try to do it. And it didn't happen because I followed a set of rules. I was blindsided by the grace of God. As C.S. Lewis said in, in uh, his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. He just creeped up on me and, and just did things for me. And all praise and glory goes to him. But I'm telling you, it works. Because I know what my life was like when I was living under a legalistic system. And it just wasn't getting better. And I know what my life is like understanding the grace of God. And I am growing. And it is working, better than I ever could have imagined. But that's not my burden. And I'm not, I don't carry that. I, I don't every day think, I need to be careful what I'm like because I'm a pastor and I don't want people to be disappointed when they see me. No, I mean, I, I pretty much just do what I'm going to do. And sometimes I disappoint myself. And I'm sure I shatter other people's expectations. An awful lot of my email responses are to people who hear me say something on the radio and they take issue with it and I have to try to explain it. And sometimes I just say I'm sorry, but this is who I am. The one thing that I will tell you is I'm not pretending anything. I'm not faking life. I don't even want a Christian life that came from discipline, that came from deception. If, if the Christian life doesn't really work, if the grace of God doesn't actually transform people, then I don't want any part of it. I do not want a religion. I, I don't. There are plenty of religions out there. Why would I want somebody to change religions if that's what it's about, it's... Failure is something that we're all good at, but failure is something, when we understand the grace of God, that you have such amazing statements that we'll see later as, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Amazing. That when we fail, it gives God a chance to do something even greater. And then you go, yeah, so should you sin that grace will abound? No, and we'll get into that. So, verse 17, you can tell this is... Now, you're going to understand these verses a lot better because of that introduction. Trust me. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and you make your boast in God. Now, you can think of this as Jewish Christians. You can think of this as legalistic Christians. Here's his comment on the good and bad of people who are living a legalistic lifestyle. And I would say, because of the way I grew up, I saw the good side of this, and, and I saw the ugly underbelly as well. You rest on the law, make your boast in God, yeah, you're on the right side. You know his will, it's true. There are, there's no one who studies the Bible harder than people who think they have to to earn something with God. No one is more disciplined in the Word than legalistic people. And, and I thank God for that aspect of my upbringing. I sure did learn the Word. I sure did pour it into my head, maybe for the wrong reasons, but I knew His Word. We taught it faithfully. You approve the things that are excellent. That word approve is a word they would use when saying certain fine metals to determine their value. You look closely at life, and those things that are excellent, that word means those things that are better than other things. You, you, you see that. You have a sense of priority. You have a, an approach to... You're, you're really good at knowing what's good and what isn't. You're instructed out of the law. God's word doesn't return void. And so there is fruit that comes from the fact that you read his word. You're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. Certainly you have a lot of confidence when you're a legalist because you're surrounded by people who are worse than you are. So you've got that confidence going for you. You're a guide to the blind. You're a light to those who are in darkness, you're an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. And again, that's something that you have to say for a legalistic orientation. They're really great at teaching, they're really great at understanding that other people need to know what they know. Perhaps the motivation isn't the highest, but hey, I would rather have someone teaching and compassionate and wanting to reach the lost and having a zeal for evangelism than somebody who wants to leave people just the way they are. So all these are good things and all these are things that should be a part of our lives. And these are all things that not only we share with legalistic people, legalistic people win in these areas in spades amazingly, I mean, some of the most profound Bible teachers in the world are very legalistic people. Some of the churches that have the greatest desire to spread the gospel are people who are driven by legalism. Those who can preach the loudest and the hardest and and say good things and really what they're saying is is right and correct. And Paul says, hey, there's a lot to be said for legalism before he completely obliterates it. He says, but there's a lot of good things you can say about it. He says, you have the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You're in the neighborhood. It's, it sounds pretty good, and it's really close to what God really wants to do. Looking pretty good. You, therefore, now he asks some tough questions. You who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Whoa. So you're out there ministering to other people. You ever turn that around? Question yourself? See how you are really doing beneath the surface? And then he gets more personal. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Now, In order to fully appreciate this, you have to remember Jesus' approach to the law. And remember in Matthew the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talked about the law. And he gave the strictest interpretation of the law you've ever seen. He said, you know, you say that you follow the rules so you would go don't commit adultery, and so you speak out very strongly when somebody else commits adultery. And then he says, "Do you understand that if you look after another person and, and you lust after them in your heart, that means if a guy looks at a at another woman other than his wife and goes, "Whoa, if a woman looks at another man and says... Why can't my husband be more like him? (laughs) Jesus said, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If you say that you're against murder, oh, good. But if you're hateful toward your brother, it's really the same thing. See, Jesus took the law and he applied it at the depth of its application. Because the law wasn't about rules to live by and how far you can go without stepping across the line. I still talk to people almost every day who want to know how far they can go before something is actually a sin. Now, if you... We had a a president, I won't name him, but he made a distinction between having one kind of physical intimacy and having another kind of physical intimacy. And he felt like if he only did this other kind, it's technically not adultery. And he used the scripture to support that. Um, There are a lot of people who followed him in that. (laughs) That's exactly what Jesus was talking about. No, it's not about, okay, how close can you get? It's about recognizing that we are all sinners, that we all violate that perfect standard, that we are all guilty before God. The law isn't for you judging other people who are worse than you are, or you feeling satisfied that you're doing pretty good, that you haven't gone all the way with that. There's so many times I hear somebody gets in trouble because they are in a relationship that, that could devastate their marriage, But they say, but it hasn't gone to the point yet of technically... That completely misunderstands what God's word says and unfortunately will rob you of his grace because our response should be to go, I am a sinner... I am the same as everyone else out there. There are different degrees and things like that, and thank God I haven't done some things that might carry some of the consequences of going as far as I could have gone or might have gone. But hey, as far as my personal quality, I am a sinner, absolutely. That is the description of me. In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good and so here Paul is saying okay you guys that are really good about letting people know that they shouldn't commit adultery and they shouldn't steal and everything take a closer look in your heart tell me that you are really better than that now invariably when people it's a weird thing when people believe that they are better than most people because they haven't done certain things and then they excuse other things in their life, it's amazing how sooner or later it creeps up on them. And the person who defends having romantic relationships with people but not having physical, sexual relations with them, (coughs) once you can excuse yourself, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time before you completely fall into a sin. And, 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 you know, that's kind of his point. And that's what happens with a legalist. Pride comes before a fall. And so, he says, you better look at yourself. You're so intent on teaching others, and okay, it's good to teach others. But are you going to teach them from a perspective of grace are you going to teach them what is beneath the surface an implication that they need to get better? They need to be more like you. I could tell you horror stories about what goes on in incredibly legalistic environments. I, in the little church I grew up in, very sound biblically, teaching the word. I'm thankful for that. And sending out missionaries, just doing a lot of really good things. But it was amazing after I grew up, and and I was always being judged. And other people were too. We knew who the bad people were. But man, when, when I grew up, and then I began to find out some of the things that were happening in that church amongst the leaders of the church, horrible things were going on the same people who who were taking me and aside and judging that I was evil because I listened to secular music after becoming a Christian and I'm guilty of that if that's a crime still still haven't been delivered from that but oh they knew that was awful that you'd now I don't listen to things that are gross or vile or anything but I just don't feel that i need to any more than if i look at a picture on a wall i want to make sure a christian painted it before i look at it i can appreciate art but man they let me have it the same guys that ripped into me for that the same guys that ripped into me because my hair was long it's really funny that i ever had a problem with that (laughs) i found out in some cases in fact the guy in that church who was the hardest on me who really drove me out of the church thank god and Drove me to Calvary Chapel. That guy I found out years later was molesting his kids. And I and I, I I sadly I sat there in the courthouse and I and I read this testimony and I I saw what he was doing and I thought back to how he tried everything he could do to drive me away from Jesus Christ because I knew I wasn't as good as he was, and he felt I was a bad influence on his kids because I played a Jackson Brown song for them. And I'm I'm reading this and I'm going, oh my goodness, this is a alternate universe or something. And he was an elder and a leader in good standing and to this day still considered to be a man of God. And I I knew I I sat there in the courthouse reading this paper and and I just began to cry. And I realized what what legalism can do. It was one of the, and then I found out all kinds of other people in the church were involved in all kinds of other things, and that all those holy people were, were living a lie. And I've seen it again and again and again. Legalistic people are hiding something. They're deceiving. They're lying. They're playing a game. They're settling for a game. And that's just Such a disgusting slap in the face to the God who set us free by the gift of his grace. And he goes on to say, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. (laughs) Your witness is destroyed because you're a phony. You haven't bothered looking in the spiritual mirror and gone to the depths of your own sin and received the the true grace and forgiveness of God. Anytime somebody's busy pointing out what's wrong with everyone else, a, a buzzer should go off, a light of warning should happen. That is not the way the Christian life is to be lived. And when that happens, It's just an indication that somewhere along the line you've left the grace of God and you've substituted for it a legal relationship of of judgment. It's interesting to see how many people who have had their lives completely fall apart and then you go back and they've written books against people like them. Weird. Weird. But grace will set us free from that if we stay in that grace. But every one of us has the desire to destroy what the grace of God can do if we fail to live in that grace. There's a guy named William Lobdell who was a great writer for the LA Times, a religion editor. Through reporting on religion, he came to faith in Christ and he went to Um, a Presbyterian church over in Newport Beach for a while and then his wife was a Catholic and he ended up converting to Catholicism and he wrote some of the greatest stories on Christianity out there. But then he started to cover the um, scandals that were going on in the Catholic church and sadly through that and other stories that he reported on he finally came to the point where he lost his faith. And you can explain it any way you want. You can go, "Why, yeah, see, Catholicism will do that to you or whatever. I don't believe that. I think he was just like the people here who end up blaspheming the name of Christ because they've just seen so many phonies. You look too closely at people who profess to be Christians, it just might ruin you. He wrote, his, he wrote a book that's out now that's a powerful book. It's so convicting. It's important for us to to come face-to-face with that kind of thing and not just point the finger at him and say, well, he's going to hell and that's where he ought to go. He just wasn't elect, I guess. But to recognize what legalism does, what dual lifestyle, what living phoniness does in terms of our witness. I... <laughs> Our time's up. I I, I was debating whether to just finish chapter 2 or whether we should do half of chapter 3 as well. So, Sorry, I got a little carried away with this. But I don't know of a more important message. I don't know of a more important concept for us to grasp, to make that step from being religious to being those who are recipients of the grace of God who live in the grace of God, who live by the good news of the grace of God. It will not only set us free, it will prevent us from crashing and burning. I believe that. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you for your grace. May we never get to the point where we think that we're something May we never look on our lives and compare them to others and take some kind of credit for who we are. Please help us to stop judging others. Please help us to stop looking down our nose at others because we know that's exactly what Satan wants us to do and that that will destroy our faith in the long run and and hurt our witness with others. Help us to to live and move and breathe in the grace of our precious Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.